Spirit into your life right now. Invite His Spirit into this place. Oh God, you are welcome. You are welcome, Father. Lord, we pray that you come and inhabit the praises of our hearts and of our lives and our mouths, oh God. We worship you, we worship you. We glorify your name. We glorify your name. You are worthy, you are worthy. You are worthy, Jesus. I honor your presence. I honor your presence.
you sing.
want to read to you before we share communion together how Peter viewed this whole thing that we call redemption. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. You weren't redeemed by cheesy things like silver and gold, cheap stuff. You were redeemed by the... Is there anybody in the house right now? I said you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect chosen before the creation of the world revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Thank God for Jesus. I said thank God for Jesus. So this morning let's just celebrate what he's done for us. Take the wafer that represents his broken body. Would you lift it toward heaven? And out loud begin to give thanks to him for his willingness to put on human flesh and live among us. Give him thanks for his body broken. Jesus we give you thanks that you were willing to leave the glories of heaven come and dwell among us. Put on human flesh, suffer and be tested and tormented and overcome that through you we can be overcomers as well. We're thankful that by your stripes we're healed. We're thankful that your body was broken so that ours could be whole. We thank you for this representation as we remember your body broken in our behalf. Let's partake of the wafer together.
just for a moment, if you will, you can be seated. A couple of things I want to talk to you about. I need the house lights to come up for a moment, if you'd help me just for a second. We have some dignitaries here this morning that I want to recognize, at least they're dignitaries in my mind. Um, Matt and Tanya Stuva have pastored at Colfax for a number of years. They're now in transition and honored. Uh, Matt and Tanya, to, I know I saw you earlier. There you are. Would you stand up and just give them a big welcome this morning? Honored to have you with us. Good to have you here this morning. And another couple of good ministry friends who are celebrating 50 years of marriage. You don't even look like you're 50. Don't tell me that. Tom and Rhonda Poole, good friends for a long, long time. Would you stand and help them celebrate 50 years of marriage? have got married the day they were born is all I have to say so also want to let you know that beginning in July we are going to do again our Super Sunday Family Fun Woo! Days everybody say that with me ready go Super, Super Sunday, Sunday Family, Family Fun, Fun Day. Day do it again Super, Super Sunday, Sunday Family, Family Fun Day, Day. During the month of July, we will be celebrating just God's goodness together. We'll have food trucks after the services. We'll have inflatables. A lot of things are happening here. And I just want you to plan on that. The train will be running. We're just going to have a great time. And by the way, we can use more volunteers to help work the train. If you want to help with that, just let the office know. Um, and then I have a weird request. Sunstream is in need of golf carts. We have rented those every year. This year they're not available. That may seem like a little deal to you, but if you've been out on the campground and you had to run from one end to the other a dozen times during the morning, you'd realize how vital those are. And so um, if you know a way that we can get some golf carts, I need six uh, rented, hopefully, or donated, whatever you can do. Put that on your to-do list. How many will at least think about it and help me find some golf carts? I need to get six of those. All right, there's four of you. If you each get a golf cart, I got two to go. So <laughs> glad for that. Um, and glad you're here this morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're glad they're here. <laughs> With a little enthusiasm. It'd make it believable. Pastor Larry, good to see you here this Amen. morning. Had a little Amen. bit of a scare uh, this week, and we're believing for God's complete healing and restoring power. And uh, good to see you here this morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, one other thing that I want to do this morning is some months ago when Pastor Glenn Reynolds was here, we took an offering to help with families that are going through a critical illness with a child. They let us know that there was a young girl, her name is Palin. She's one year old and uh, she's been diagnosed with kidney cancer. And so we were able to join with them. Your giving enables us to join with them and provide a place for her, for her to have some respite a little bit. So I just want you to watch this video of the play structure and little Palin in the swing.
those shoes is rocking, girlfriend. Huh? She's like, oh, I'm done now. There it goes. Look, Yali. You like it? Thank you so much for your faithful giving. Whether you do it online, you do it when you come in in the offering boxes or drop it off during the week or mail it in, you've helped us keep doing what God's called us to do. And we've been able to bless a family in Virginia with uh, your help. So pray for little Palin. I don't know her prognosis or what she's facing, but I do know the um, load that's carried by a family with a child dealing with cancer. Pray for them. How many will pray for them? Remember Palin and pray for Palin that God will do a miracle in her body. Thank you for your generosity and giving. Well, take your Bible, open your digital device to First Peter. We're beginning a new journey this morning titled Strengthen the Believers. And this is what I want you to understand. We need to be all about the lost and reaching the lost and touching lost people. But if we don't keep our focus on the strength of the body, there'll be nobody to touch lost people. And we need to keep that in mind. So give you an introduction to First Peter with a video this morning. But Jesus made him Peter. He was a simple fisherman off the west coast of the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. He was strong, independent, and had a direct, impetuous way about himself. He was married and lived a fairly normal life until Jesus said, Follow me. Peter would become one of the twelve disciples. He was among Jesus' closest friends and boldly proclaimed his lordship. He was also first to cut and run and was first to deny Christ when he was crucified. He was the first that Christ appeared to after he had risen from the dead, and Peter would be the first to raise his voice and preach on the day of Pentecost. He wrote his first letter to the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia around AD 63. His letter is intended for Christians who journey through this world as aliens and strangers to find their hope in Christ alone. All of these are found in 1st Peter. series this morning that we're beginning has an intentional practical purpose. We've been through 1 John talking about koinonia, biblical community, biblical fellowship, and what are the benefits of that? Why do we need that so desperately? And I told you that the reason for that was to understand the value of small groups and getting back together. Let me tell you how I see the church today. We've gone through a pandemic um, and quarantine and isolation and fear, and we're coming out of that. Yeah, help me now this morning, or this is going to take me twice as long. We're coming out of that. But I'm told that if you are hospitalized, that there are three days of recovery needed for every one day you're in the hospital. That anytime that you're sick and struggling, there is a recovery process that you need to be a part of. That the longer that you are um, confined or in bed, the longer it is for you to recover. How many understand what I'm talking about? The church now needs to recover. The church needs to recover. 
And we have some people who are afraid to get out of bed and are afraid to step back out into this world and afraid to re-engage. And I'm not telling you to be foolish. I'm not telling you to make, I'm not telling you what choices you should make. I'm just saying to you, it's time for the church to enter into physical therapy, for us to get strong again, to step up and re-engage in ministry when we have been withdrawn from that. And I get, I get there are still concerns, and I get the concerns on the side of exposure and um, variant viruses and vaccine concerns. I get all of that. But I'm telling you that the rate right now in Iowa in the last seven days was 1.8, and that's the lowest number it's been in a while. And I'm not telling you to take risks. I'm telling you it's time for us to step up. How many are hearing what I'm saying? So our goal in the fall is that we will be able to relaunch small groups so that we can engage in discipleship in a small group context. And I think that's vitally important. And here's what I need from this body for that to happen. I need men and women who will stand up and say, I'm willing to shepherd a small group, not in the old school way and the abuses that went with that, but I'm willing to lead ministry to the body of Christ. I hear all of the time about things that have happened in the body that I don't know anything about. I just heard about somebody this morning that had surgery and then difficulties with that, didn't know anything about that. No information came to the office. That needs to stop happening. The only way for that to stop happening is if we re-engage in small group accountability and relationships where small groups can minister to that body of believers. So I'm going to talk to you for the next few weeks about what it means to be the kind of under-shepherd or the kind of servant that God needs to rise up and build his body. If we don't build the body of Christ, there'll be no world to reach. We have to keep those in a healthy balance. Peter was a unique individual. He walks on water and sinks beneath the waves. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan, after saying to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. He was a, he was a, a paradox of sorts. He said to Jesus, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And then he says to him this in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you are converted, strengthen the brothers. Now watch those two concepts in tension. I've prayed for you that your faith not fail. I believe what Jesus prays for is going to happen. That your faith not come to an end. That your faith not be for naught. That your faith no longer exist. But recognizing that when you, um, are, when you are converted and come back from your failure, here's what I want you to understand. You can have a failure in time that doesn't dictate a failure of faith. You've got to be able to respond to that and keep listening to Jesus and come back. So don't equate a stumble with having lost your relationship with Jesus because he is long-suffering and merciful and loving and caring and he will bring you back to a place of repentance. Yes, you need to repent and be converted, but what was his plan for Peter? When you're converted, when you come back, when you make it right, I will use you to strengthen the brethren. I think the people best equipped 
expect to strengthen other people in the church world today aren't those with polished halos and perfect smiles, but those who have scars and bruises and have been in the battle and have stumbled a few times and know what it is for Jesus to lift you up from your brokenness and rebuild you and empower you again. And from that platform, you can say, I've been where you are. I've walked where you walked. And I've met a Jesus who met me in my dark hour and raised me up. And I want to help you experience that same regenerating power of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Those are the leaders that we need. I don't need perfect people because there aren't any. They're just arrogant Pharisees. Did I just say that out loud? How did that, where did that come from? I'm trying to learn to think some things and not say everything that I think. I need a better filter. Peter also plays a unique role in the New Testament in the post-resurrection of Jesus. He opens the doors to the Gentiles at the home of Cornelius and testifies in their behalf at the Jerusalem council while rejecting them at Galatia. And Paul then becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. John is called by theologians the apostle of love. Paul, the apostle of faith. And Peter is the apostle of hope. Because he's learned that when the waves, are you hearing me this morning? That when you've been walking on the water and you begin to sink in the waves, that the hand of Jesus is still there to lift you back up. He's the apostle of hope. He writes to the scattered and persecuted Jewish believers, reminding them of the wonders of salvation and and challenges them to stability in their faith. He's saying to them, yes, you're scattered. Yes, it's not what you thought it would be. And Jerusalem is not the center of the kingdom today. But our faith and hope rest in God. He strengthens believers who get lost over a fear of internal focus and lose their way in evangelistic passion they lose both of those and struggle and it's Peter that says calling them back that wherever you are and whatever you're going through you need to build yourself up and build the body to do the work that God's called us to do a weak and undeveloped anemic church will never effectively reach this world and reaching the lost must be Pentecostal passion. Now I want to be abundantly clear. The power of Pentecost came so that you can be a witness, not so you can manifest. Is there anybody in the house today? You will be witnesses after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you in both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And would to God that the Pentecostal church would recognize our calling and let that passion refuel us that we wouldn't be satisfied if seven days go by without a faith conversation with someone that doesn't know Jesus. I'm not saying you need to hogtie them and get them to pray the sinner's prayer. But if the Spirit of God is a alive in you and the word of God is true, a strong church will be an evangelistic church and understanding the power of Pentecost is to be a going church, reaching lost people. Toward the end of his epistle, Peter appeals to elders as under shepherds. 
To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, not eager to, uh, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fail away. You say, that's for under shepherds, that's for leaders, that's who God calls. And I'm just saying to you, every one of us should aspire to be in ministry helping someone else grow in their faith. We're to go in the world and not make converts. We're called to go in the world and make disciples. That's the call to the church, and we all should be investing. So this call to under shepherds is one that I believe is universal and church-wide. We should aspire to be elders and ministers building the lives of others. And I see our next phase of small group leaders being under shepherds, building the body of Christ. We should all respond to that call. So how do we do that? What is included in that? What does that mean? Well, here's what chapter one tells us. (laughs) We ought to be more excited about our salvation today than we ever were in our lives. We ought to be more excited about salvation than we are manifestations. We ought to be more excited about our salvation than we are about prosperity. We should be more excited about our salvation than any part of our spiritual journey. And what happens over time is once we've made a commitment to Christ and we celebrate what it means to be a child of God, it seems to me that it's easy. The longer you are a Christ follower, the easier it is to lose the awe and wonder of what it means to be a child of God. And Paul, or Peter says to those that he's writing to as they're scattered abroad, don't forget how wonderful and glorious and grand it is for you to be born again. Rejoice in God's great mercy that he saved you and redeemed you. And I wish that the church would have a hunger to get back to not so much looking for the deep revelations and the deep truths, but remember what an amazing miracle it has been for Jesus to bring you out of darkness into light to rejoice in the mercy of God first nine verses call us to that do you know that God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were all involved in your redemption that the entire the entire Godhead was present when you gave your life to Jesus we're all involved in that process and had a role in that he starts off by talking to those that are scattered that are strangers that are foreigners that are struggling he tells them to rejoice in what and in whom who have been chosen in their being scattered. Have you ever wondered in the middle of a struggle or a trial of God's forsaken you? He's saying to those that are scattered, that feel like they've lost their way, you were chosen by what? By the foreknowledge of God the Father. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that the day you were born, God the Father began a plan for you to come to faith in Christ. Now you have to respond to that and you have free will, but 
God the Father ordained that every man, woman, boy, and girl on planet Earth would have an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus and has provided a plan for that to happen. The foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What does he do? He makes the work of Jesus real. He sets you apart from the pressures and temptations of the darkness of this world and then moves you into a place where you can receive God the Father foreordained it. God the, God the Spirit sanctifies it and then through the obedient or to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Father, so don't make this a light thing. I think sometimes we make it too trivial for people to come to faith in Christ. It's not about just praying a prayer. You're meeting a person. A person who is the sovereign of the universe. And God the Father has provided a way. God the Spirit has empowered a way. And God the Son has paid the way for you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Tells us in verse 3, oh, and out of that, what do we get? Remember who he's talking to, people that are scattered. What do you get? An abundance of grace and peace are yours because of that. Irrespective of your circumstances and what's going on around you, it doesn't matter the journey you're on or how you feel about it or what your, what your circumstances are. He gives you an abundance of grace and peace, an abundance. So we're going to walk through the jump through. That's just there's. We could do a whole series on the first nine verses. Rejoicing in God's great mercy. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah! In His great mercy, what comes from that? Our hope, a living hope. Verse three, through the new birth, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our hope doesn't rest on our performance or our ability. It rests on what he has provided. And he gives you hope. If you don't have hope, it's because you've not opened the gift. It's part and parcel of your salvation. He gives us grace and peace and hope. And in verse 4, he gives us a grand inheritance that cannot perish, cannot spoil, cannot fade, reserved in heaven for you. Do you know why we get into such trouble on planet earth and forget to celebrate redemption? It's because we who have been lifted up to walk on water have started looking at the storm and think that's our sustenance and we begin to sink. But my inheritance isn't here, it's over there. And it is protected and it's provided for me. And if you want to make it through this world, you've got to get your eyes off the storm and get your eyes on the destination because there's an inheritance reserved for us for ever in heaven look at it where it is celebrate that now look at verse 5 <laughs> are you still with me because I'm going to poke at you a little bit right here is that alright <laughs> who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Who is he writing to? Those who have no home. Those who are being persecuted. Those who are being scattered. How many of you have had a hard time a couple times in your earthly journey? Hold up your neighbor's hand. Now listen to me. 
however hard your battle has been, however difficult the challenge has been, you have never, you have never faced the full brunt of the attack against you. Because the Spirit of God has shielded you from the overwhelming attack that would crush you. And God is allowing some things to come your way to strengthen you and empower you and equip you to, to minister to the lives of others. But just remember, you are shielded by God. That means you have never in your lifetime faced any trial that wasn't at least to some measure deflected off of you because he has promised to be with you. So when you start whining... Maybe you should start thanking for the shield that doesn't let the full force hit you. Preach, pastor, I'm trying to. Because of that, verses 6 to 9, we rejoice in suffering. Because we believe there's an end in view. Because we have grace and peace and hope and an inheritance and we're shielded. So when trouble comes to us, we learn how to rejoice in that because God has a bigger plan. He says to us something really interesting that we love him without seeing him. How is that possible? It isn't possible unless you have a relationship with him. So that the emphasis isn't on evidence of his existence. It's on the vitality of your relationship. Do you really know him? Do you know him? Do you really know him? Because we worship one and believe in one and trust in one that we have not seen. And because of that, we rejoice even in suffering. Why? Because our eyes are set on heaven. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Rejoice in God's great mercy. Remember his mercy. Second, Verses 10 to 21, okay, now we're, we're going to rejoice in his mercy that gets us through today. But we're going to set our hope on the grace to come. And this next section is just, it, just soak in it a while. Take it this week and read it a while. Watch what happens here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come search intently with the greatest care, trying to find out. Here's what he's telling us. The prophets prophesied more than they understood. The prophets tell us about a virgin that will give birth to a son. The prophets tell us about one whose king, the kingdom of God will rest on his shoulders. Tells us about a babe that will be born in Bethlehem. Over and over and over, the prophetic word talks about a Messiah that would come in a way that they didn't understand. And the prophets heard what God said through them, read what they wrote as God gave it to them, and studied it and wondered, what is this about? Wouldn't it be wonderful for God to give you a revelation of himself and his glory that's bigger than 
than you could understand. I mean, bigger than you could get donuts if you go at four o'clock. I mean, a real revelation of the nature and character of God. It was so big that they searched diligently. What is this about? What is this majestic thing we're writing about? (laughs) And then it was revealed to them that it wasn't for them. We experience freely today what the prophets of old gave their life to try to understand. It's for us. What they were in awe over, what they were in wonderment over, what was beyond their ability to comprehend was revealed to them. You're talking about another day. You're talking about another time. Well, I've got good news for you. We're in that day. Hello. We're in that time. We're rejoicing in the grace to come. It was and is about us. And it was so incredible that even angels long to look into these things. Now I want you to think about, think about that. How lightly we carry the idea of redemption and salvation. We make it almost secondary in charismatic churches. Like you, you get saved so you can get into the power. That's, Peter is telling us that that's a mistaken notion. The way we need to look at this is understanding what great redemption we've experienced. That the prophets were in awe. The angels would like to understand it and enter into it. And then when we treat it lightly... When we don't recognize what an incredible miracle it is to be redeemed. I imagine the prophets would scratch their head at the church today. And the angels would wonder what happened to this grand glorious redemption. I'm telling you that we will strengthen the body when we celebrate what it really means to be born again. And we keep that in the forefront of our lives, setting our hope on the grace to come. Because in verse 13, we're called then to live a holy lifestyle, a call to holy living because of the coming of Jesus into our lives. If Jesus comes into you, then you're going to live a holy lifestyle. It's not like you have to work at it and come up with a set of rules. If the life of God is in you, then your life is going to look like God. To be holy as he is holy. Things that should correct us and speak to us and challenge us. It will cause you to live like him. So verse 17 then tells us, since You call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Now, I've got to stop there for a minute and just remind you of something vitally important in the believer's life. We are are saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace. But don't, don't, don't fail to understand that after you've been saved by grace, there will be a judgment of your works. Because if you've really been saved by grace, it changes how you work. 
And the Bible tells us there's a day coming for the believer that your works will be measured of what sort it is, that it will be tried impartially, and we need to live our time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We need to reclaim that. The awe and wonder of the holy. The awe and wonder of the majesty. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. So different and set apart from this world system and its ways. And, and understanding that that same holiness needs to flow through us. And I have said often, I've talked with people who are struggling with whether or not to give their life to Christ. But the things I have to give up, and I've said to them, you don't have to give up anything you don't want to give up. How can you say that? Because I know what the life of God does when it gets on the inside of you. It changes your appetites. It changes your desires. It creates a hunger for who he is. I listened to the testimony of a, of a long-time lesbian who came out of the gay lifestyle. And she tells how she came out of the gay lifestyle. And she said it wasn't by any of the apologetics that Christians presented. It wasn't by anyone arguing with her. It was the day that someone introduced her to Jesus and she decided that she needed something else in her life. And she invited Jesus in. And Jesus began to work on her. And she said, a day came when I realized that Jesus was more important than anything else. And I wasn't defined by my sexuality. I was defined by my relationship with God and understood that I was new. And those old desires went away. And something new happened on the inside of me because I believe it's still true. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are become new. And if that hasn't happened, you didn't get in Christ. You might have prayed a prayer. You may have stayed at the altar. You might even start paying tithe. Keep doing that. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You have to meet the one who changes you from the inside out. And our hope then rests on heaven. If you could grab hold of that. There are so many things in this life that cause us to struggle. But our hope is on the grace that will come at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope rests. So then, beginning in verse 18. Our faith and hope are found in God. I couldn't wait uh, on Communion Sunday to not read these verses. But think, could you just think for a minute what this life must look like to God? I'm not trying to be trivial. But our lives are consumed with silver and gold and prospering. And we, I know God wants to bless us. Believe me, I believe that. I believe that if you're a tither, he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't contain. How can he do that? Because you know that the gold we pursue is what they pave the streets with in heaven. Hello? 
Gold and silver, are you kidding me? He didn't buy your redemption with the cheap baubles of earth. There was only one thing. Think how much you were worth. Gold and silver. It's not they weren't enough. It's that it didn't equal your value. All of the gold in the world, all of the silver in the world, all of the gems in the world in the eyes of God didn't measure up to what you were worth. But what were you worth? You were worth the son of God leaving the glories of heaven, living as a man on planet earth, being spit on, whipped, cursed, and mocked and ridiculed, hanging on a cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in that emptiness and pain and suffering and sorrow? God the Father said there's only one thing that is valuable enough for the people that I've created that I want to bring back to me. And that's the blood of my son. He paid that for you. Are you hearing me this morning? He paid that for you. The the blood of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Chosen before creation. And it rests on the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now look at verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. (laughs) So your faith and hope are in God. Now let me just walk here for a minute about where your hope should rest. You're a disciple of Jesus. And your hope is that God would restore the kingdom to Israel. And you've trusted that Jesus is that Messiah that will restore Israel to its rightful place. You followed him for three and a half years. And it's gotten worse and worse after the miracles. And now you're there in the garden when he's taken captive. You watch while they mock him and ridicule him, put a crown of thorns on his head, a purple robe on his back, whip him, rip it off, and you're there while they nail him to a cross. And you hear him say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the last thing you hear him say is, it is finished. Now, if I hadn't read what happens next, and I was standing there and heard him say, it's finished. I would hear that, it's over. We lost. It's done. Dead. They take him off the cross. They put him in a tomb. The women come. No one is expecting to see anything except a dead Jesus. But God the Father. I said, but God the Father left a demonstration for mankind that when you feel like it's over, the Father has yet to begin. And he's laying there in 
um, in the tomb when the Spirit of God raises him from the dead. And you say, why did he lay the napkin aside? And I'm just going to give you one little comment to go with that. When you look into the empty tomb and you see his grave clothes and the napkin on the side, you know that robbers weren't there. You know that nobody was in a hurry. Something happened here that was intentional and on purpose and wasn't a mistake or a prank. And God the Father raised the dead Jesus to newness of life. He walked on the streets of Jerusalem. He appeared with the believers teaching them of the things of the kingdom and they watched on the mount when Jesus ascended back into heaven. That's where your hope rests. It isn't over till he says it's over. Your faith and hope rests. <laughs> I wish I knew how to dance. <laughs> Our faith and hope rests in the God who raised Jesus from the dead in the darkest of human experiences. To remind you that our faith and hope rests in the resurrecting Father who raises... Is there anyone in the house right now? So what should we do? Now watch, I'm, I've been preaching this morning just to get to this next part. Now watch, this is really important. This is about strengthening the body and what salvation ought to do. Are you ready? How many are buckled in? Because this, this is going to get rough here for a little bit. Are you okay? Buckle the seatbelt. Let me hear you go click, click, click. Buckle it in. Grab hold, of the, grab hold of the chair in front of you. This is white knuckle ride time. Are you ready? All right. Now watch this progression. Verse 22. Now that you've been purified by obeying the truth, you have purified yourselves. So this process of redemption... This process that we rejoice in God's great mercy, we set our hope on the grace to come, means that we will love one another deeply. You, you purify yourself. Now, listen to me carefully. You can't love people until you purify yourself. Well, if they would just straighten up, I could love them. <laughs> you know, they're not the problem. They may be a pain, but they're not the problem. <laughs> Come on, I'm not saying people are easy. But what is the core that needs to happen? You need to get clean on the inside. How many of you have ever had a grudge against someone? The rest of you are lying. How many, <laughs> come on, <laughs> how many of you have ever had a grudge against someone? When I was in elementary and uh, junior high, I used to get so mad because someone would tick me off at school and the next day I would go to school and forget that I was mad at them until we were doing something on the playground and then I'd be mad at myself that I was friends with them again and I hadn't made them pay. So I determined in that age frame that I was going to start keeping a list with the infraction and when appropriate payment was made. You know what happened as I got older? I didn't need a list. It became natural. It became natural. And when you have a grudge, it makes you sick on the inside. 
How many know what I'm talking about? You can't, everything looks, looks bad and smells bad. You can't change them. You can only change you. Told the story numerous times. I feel like I need to throw it in here one time real quick. There was a young man in Bible college that I came the closest to hating, and I could give you all the reasons why he deserved to be hated. <laughs> How many here know what I'm saying? Some people just, you know, I was praying at the altar for God to change him. God, fix that creep. In the name of Jesus, jerk the jerk out of him. Come on, anybody with me? Been there, prayed that prayer. And I heard him say, if you prayed for him as much as you complain about him, I could change you. So he says, you have to purify yourself in obeying the truth. It's a part that you play in that. And then there's this strange play on words. He says then that once you've purified yourself, that's where it starts, so that you have sincere love for each other. What does sincere love mean? It's a specific Greek word, phileo, love of the brethren. And you know what that means? Love of the brethren means sharing in common. It means to have affection for. It really means you like someone. How many know what it means to love somebody, but you don't like them in the moment? Brotherly love is you like them. So if you come to church and say, I have to love you, pastor, but I don't have to like you, <laughs> not after today. <laughs> if you're going to heaven, you have to like me. <laughs> and I'm just here to stir up some things in you that need to be made right. Hallelujah. <laughs> you have to, <laughs> we have to like one another. How are we going to do that if we're not in community? How are we going to do that if we're not sharing life together? How is that going to happen? Do you know there are people all around us that need the gospel, that need to be loved? And if we, how will they know that we're his disciples? By loving when we love one another. There's so many connections all around us that if we would just open our mouth, um, we'd be able to touch lives and it all rests on us liking one another. We need to like Christians. And then he says... Love one another deeply. What is that? That's agape. He says, phileo one another sincerely, agape one another deeply. Why? <laughs> because I can promise you, I can't like everybody all the time. Some people make that really difficult. And if my relationship to you is based on phileo, it will ebb and flow. My goal should be to get to phileo, but what it all rests on is agape. I love you sacrificially. I love you supernaturally. I want what is best for you. And both of those need to be active in the body of Christ. That I love you sincerely. I like you. But on those days when I don't see you as likable, I still love you with agape love. Make sure your affection for one another is based on agape love. Why? Verse 23. 
because you've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. Everything in this world is going to fade. But the word of God endures forever. What do we need to do as a body of Christ? We will strengthen one another when we celebrate this thing called redemption, being born again. When we put it back in its place of value, when we rejoice in God's great mercy, when we put our hope on grace to come, and when we love one another deeply. So I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. Could be this morning that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Those of you that are watching online in the North Chapel, you could be in a place right now where you don't have, you may be religious, you may have prayed a prayer, you may go to church, but you don't know him. This would be a wonderful morning for you to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to pray for you. I want you just to slip your hand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. I need Jesus in my life. Hold up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I need Jesus in my life. Someone else that's five or six this morning that raised their hand. Is there anyone else this morning? I need Jesus in my life as my Lord and Savior. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Respond as the Spirit of God. Yes, thank you. Thank you. As God is moving across the room, you need to respond to Jesus. I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me out loud. And please understand, this prayer is not miraculous. It's just a way of you expressing what you want God to do in your life. And if you pray that and mean it, something new is going to happen to you. New life is going to be sown on the inside of you. There's a body of believers here that want to walk with you and together we'll glorify God relationally and spiritually. Everyone pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I have failed in many ways and I need your help. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. And I trust you today as my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you and I receive your supernatural power to change me and make me new. And I promise to serve you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Angels are rejoicing right now. Let me hear your hands. What a great, great God. I do have a second question I want to ask, though, again, with heads bowed, eyes closed. I felt God laid on my heart and you'd be willing to admit this morning, I've taken my salvation for granted. I've lost the fire. I've lost the enthusiasm. I've lost the excitement. And this morning I want to get back to that place of first love where Jesus is everything to me. And I rejoice in awe and wonder over what he's done. I've let it grow cold. If that's where you are, would you just admit that this morning with an uplifted hand? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands going up all around. Just hold it up. Honor, acknowledge that, Tim. God, I need to be caught up with newness of life. If you will, reach out to him in just a moment as Pastor Nathan leads us in worship. My prayer is that the Spirit of God will move across this congregation and you'll feel a new kindling of that flame on the inside that will walk in the joy of Jesus. Let's stand together.
is built on nothing less. Sing a church. Then Jesus. of you would thank you um, in our prayer time this week how many will join me and pray God rekindle the flame of the fire of awe and wonder in what you've done